This is Chase Garbarino, co-founder and CEO of HQO, and this is the Let's Go Show. Let's go! All right. This week, we have my guy, Michael Beckerman, back on the show. Michael, thanks for coming on, man. Chase, I think that's the highest compliment I have gotten in a very, very long time. <laughs> your guy, man. That I take that seriously. Thanks, my friend. It's great to be with you always and to talk whatever whatever you want to talk about. Um, I'm game and uh, excited to sort of think a little bit about where we've been and where we're going. Yeah. So we got a fun one today. We're going to we're going to put ourselves in a tough position where we're going to try to make some predictions and see what we screw up and we'll have you back on next year uh, so we can tease ourselves about that. So um, before we get diving in, though, and this will come out afterwards, but next week's a big week for you guys. Um, back back live in person event, Tech New York. Uh, let's start quickly on. Uh, what are you most excited about outside of just getting everybody back together? That's uh, it, my friend. Just excited yeah. to be back, uh, meet people, hug people with my mask on, uh, you know, fully vaxxed. Uh, you know, it's been two years, Chase, since we've staged a live event. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was never one. I still am not to believe that the pendulum swings too extreme either way when when things happen and, and events happen that you know nobody can predict there's always this prediction of live events are dead new york city's not coming back and you know it's never that extreme so um i'm just excited and the demand and the, and the enthusiasm around people coming back to uh, be in person is just uh I'm just super, super thrilled and excited. And listen, I love Boston. Okay. I love Boston. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Boston, but New York is my home turf, man. So for the first event, gotta be NYC. Gotta bring it home. It's, uh, no, it's good. And it is, I mean, it's perfect timing in terms of, you know, I started going back. I was one of the first people back traveling and at the office and all that, as you know, and where it's come from in February, just going back to New York now, I mean, like feels back, right? You know, Jerry Seinfeld, uh, Jerry Seinfeld got it right where he's like, we'll be fine. It'll come back. You know, it, it's feeling back, which is great. Well, you know what it is, Chase? It's one of, it, you know, it's, it's, it's like some of the themes that I, I draw inspiration from uh, uh, is that, you know, Cities are so resilient, right? I mean, you think about what Boston's been through, what New York has been through in terms of, you know, terrorism and, uh, uh, you know, economic collapses and things like that. And cities are resilient, man. And I, I'm also super um, proud of our industry, right? And honestly, and I'm not just saying this because I'm on the podcast, and I might be the only two-time guest, I think, but... Uh, I digress, but uh, you know the leadership that HQO has shown and our industry is, in terms of resilience is incredible to me. You know that. Listen, they they talk about in the very beginning of COVID, the industry is going to suffer. Tech company, you know, startups are going to suffer, and it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, you're a, a, an extraordinary example, and your colleagues of how you've thrived. Uh, during this time, and our ecosystem has thrived. So that's those are some other things that give me a lot of pride and, and hope. 
yeah, well, thank you for that. I mean, we're, uh, you know, we've been, um, we've been cautious, I think, throughout this because uh, obviously it's been very disruptive, but that typically is when there's the most opportunity, you know? So I think a lot of this is, you know, whether people choose to, to take advantage of where there's going to be opportunity and typically the the biggest opportunities are also the hardest ones. So you kind of have to walk into that eyes wide open, but um, it is good to, to see things coming back. And uh, I think particularly for you guys and pre-tech moving forward, I do think there is going to be a little bit of a pendulum swing and people are going to be pretty pumped to be back in person. I think it's going to take one or two events, but 2022 is going to be a big, big year for you guys. Well, I think for the industry. And, you know, the other thing is just, uh, again, uh, you know, I'm not getting paid for this, people. This is just what I believe. <laughs> if you know me or follow anything I we do, I, it, it's going to it's always going to be authentic. Uh, you know, the, the fact that that HQO had an event before our event at Cretech in New York. I mean, that's friggin' leadership, man. That's saying like, again, I don't know anybody else that's ever done anything like that, that has staged an entire event, you know, around tenant experience, but so much more I know is being discussed before our event. I mean, that's what I'm talking about where, you know, you have, there's crisis and what's that great quote or somebody said about, you know, never waste a great crisis or something like that. And I know in my company, we got better, we got smarter um, as a result of going through this. And I know HQO did as well. And I think that event that you guys staged was like a wonderful sort of affirmation, validation of how great companies lean in and uh, get better and lead more uh, through crisis and, and challenging times. And you have and you are. Well, we're happy to ride in your wake. So that was the idea. <laughs> and that that typically works pretty well. So uh, so all right, let's let's look back a little bit and let's I want to hear what you think the most important thing is that you know we learned in 2021 and you know what kind of the industry was taught, what we've learned about commercial real estate in this past year. You know, I, I think, and I gave a, a speech about this recently, I think we're going to look back, Chase, and say that, that this, you know, 21 really redefined, uh, let's focus on office, right? Like really redefined the office sector because work got redefined, right? And the workplace has not really kept up with the profound changes that are happening within the space that, that tenants and their employees are now demanding. So it's forcing landlords to kind of rethink everything, who these customers are, not just five, seven, ten, every 10 years, but every day, you know, we've, and I think that's the greatest uh, uh, sort of, um, you know, trend and theme that I don't think is as going back is that the office sector is now fully in the hospitality sector. And the best companies, as you know, because you and I talk about this all the time, are the ones that are that have got that very early in COVID and saw it and leaned into it. And I think for me, you know, that plus how, you know, technology really needs to and must be uh, at the top of every owner's uh, 
you know, priority list is as important as their, their anything, their underwriting, their financing, their uh, construction. It's at, you know, we're finally, you know, uh, at, at the table uh, when all the important decisions are made. And I think that was, you know, f- for the wrong reasons, but, you know, COVID was an extraordinary accelerant of technology and there's no, 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 no way that's going back. That's for me. Some of the things. What about you? I mean, what what did you see sitting in the driver's seat at HQO that really inspired you, or that was a profound, you know, uh, sort of trend that you that you really took note of? Yeah, I mean, it, it's similar to what you're saying in terms of the you know office truly moving into the hospitality business. I think, in particular, within that, the the biggest thing that comes up in every single conversation that we have is, um, you know, the, the industry really talks about it in terms of, you know, they use the term flex, right? In terms of like flex offerings, really what we're talking about is, and I, th- I think we kind of conflate like too many things into flex. And really what we're, what's happening is we are starting to offer just different types of solutions to customers. We're seeing that from landlords, right? The concept is really just a shorter term. You know, there's there's two vectors, length of commitment, right? In terms of your typical office lease and what what customers are looking for, because this was happening well before COVID, but COVID exacerbated it an incredible, you know, exponential amount in terms of the average life cycle of a Fortune 500 company is just significantly shorter than what it used to be. There's like, I read somewhere that they're predicting something like more than half of the Fortune 500 will turn over in the next five years, I think. Wow. So business just happens faster. And when you think about that from a human capital perspective, you know, the, the people decisions, which obviously when you think about your office needs, it, when when things move that quickly and we continue to hear more about this great resignation and all these people changing jobs, it's just really hard to lock in a 10, 15 year lease, right? Now, that's not to say that a bunch of groups aren't going to do it. We're seeing big tech talk out of both sides of their mouths because they're, you know, yeah. they're kind of touting remote work and then they're going and taking more office space than anybody else, um, you know, in New York and some other areas, which is great for the industry. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a negotiations tactic, but the, you know, there's that one vector of lease length. And then the second vector is what services beyond just the physical product do you need to provide to your, to your customers? And everybody kind of bundles this in flex and I'm not sure it should really be considered flex. I think the way that, um, the, the market needs to think about it is kind of how we think about it. And a lot of technology companies think about these things, which is how do you start to create customer profiles, right? What is the, what is the solution for a fortune 500 or global 1000 look like? What does the solution for say a a mid-sized company and then a small size company look like? And across the two vectors, I think you're going to have varying amounts of what's the typical length that different groups are going to look for in those buckets. And then against that, like, what are the services? Because the services for a small company are going to look different than what a Fortune 500 is going to need. But I think that, you know, for for some folks that, 
and we don't see a lot of it, but they're saying flex and they're not really thinking about, you know, what, what's that, what's that mean? Right? Like it, it's not co-working. It's, you know, is it a more standardized lease, uh, you know, in, te- in terms of seven page lease construct for anything that's under say three years, right? And making a little bit more turnkey with certain services included in that. And we're starting to see some people be really, really thoughtful about um, how they're approaching different customer segments and the services that you know they need to be in the business of providing, whether they're doing it themselves as an operator, or if they're bringing in third-party operators to handle those services. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Chase. You know, I think for me, the thing that I've always been fascinated by throughout my whole whole career in commercial real estate is 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 sort of um, uh, you know the way that markets move, right? Because I, I was always fascinated by you know early in my career, you know, it was single family. That was the whole real estate world. It really wasn't much of a commercial real estate institutional industry. This is you know back back in the you know before you were born, <laughs> and you follow how markets and cycles move. And so when people ask me like what's hot, I'm like, I, I don't I'm not paying attention to what's hot now. I'm thinking about how does how does the market move over the next three, five, ten years? And I think you you said it. You know, in office, we they, they you would never hear a word like customer. It, you just it just the, it just wasn't part of the vernacular. Customer? No, what's the what customer? <laughs> you know we have a tenant, we have, we have a, we have a lease, but we don't have a customer. We have documents. And then, you know, what they do while they're in this, I, I really don't, you know, I, again, I'm being flippant, but, and I know that's not the case across the board, but customer was not really something the industry thought about uh, as it does today. Well, that, that's a fundamental paradigm shift, not just in thinking, but now what do we do with that? Mm. You know, who are the new uh, players and, and providers that feed that cycle and capitalize on it. Clearly, HQO, in my mind, is top of the food chain. And I think it's also why, Chase, honestly, multifamily, you know, from where I sit, has led a lot of the quote-unquote prop tech adoption over the last couple of years. Why? Because they, they, they interact with customers and consumers, mm-hmm. and they get feedback. You said customer profiles. I'm, my ears just you know, perked up. Like, who's talking like that? I know they are now. Three years ago, that was not part of the vernacular conversation. No, no even just when you, you know, I, I was an outsider coming into the industry. I thought it was so fire, so funny that, you know, there's kind of two buckets that the, you know, the leasing community at least talks about, which are fire and tin, right? And it's like, right. there's significantly more nuance to, how like tech companies think about their customer segments and like the amount of work that we put into what we call ICP, ideal customer profile. And even just qualifying like the questions that, you know, from a consultative sale process, like we do a ton of work up front to really figure out what the business objectives are. And that's something that, you know, we're seeing, it's going to be hard, but the, What's what's funny, and one of our mutual friends, Patrick McGrath over at uh, Savills, that I was talking to this week, you know, we were talking about how he's seen exponentially more the chief people officer and the head of HR is a key decision maker now in commercial real estate, right? So like yeah. even the fundamental change of who your buyer is, 
understanding what the business goals are. Are you trying to hire engineers? Are you trying to use your office space as a place to host customers? Like the business objectives are different for different companies. And I think that the people who are going to win coming out of this and COVID are going to win big by being customer oriented and changing their whole philosophy around this. Um, And you're seeing some people start to do it. And I still, you know, truthfully have some conversations with people that are, you know, they're going to lose out because they're hanging to the back of the pack and they think everything is going to go back to the way that it was. But I'm seeing less and less of that for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, again, just to, to draw sort of parallels to residential side, it's why you see new markets being born in residential because why customers demanding it exactly what you're talking about single family rentals i mean you know where did that come from i mean i know it's been around for a while but you know i buyers where where did where do these innovations coming from Mm -hmm. coming from the marketplace right you know if i had to think about office and where we are today i mean that's why i think and you said it so much more eloquent than me i mean i think we're entering the golden era of of office space because there are going to be companies that get this, that lean in so hard and, and, and come up with such innovative new models and solutions and programming uh, and redefine finally what happens within the walls, mm-hmm. which is really, really exciting. Yeah. So, all right. So now we're going to move on to the tough stuff, which is our, our predictions. So of this last year, we're starting with what trends you think are actually going to die out next year. What do you, in the flurry of activity that you know, we've seen and you sit at the center of all this, there's probably too many solutions chasing too few pain points to some degree. Um, so what do you, what do you think is going to, going to die out in the coming years? Damn. Could you guys have prepped me for this? I mean, oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh man, it's a hard. It's a really hard one. It's a really hard one. I definitely think, as you said, I, I'd start with too many, uh, too many solutions chasing problems that don't exist. Right. Uh, so I, I think we're going to absolutely find a you know sort of a, a weeding out of the number of tech companies that are on the scene that are are fighting for small market shares. So I think you know I don't know if that's what's going to die out, but I think you're definitely going to see the emergence of bigger, more end-to-end solutions and fewer, less fragmentation in the marketplace. That, that absolutely has been, is happening. And, you know, I, I think once the sort of the frothy fundraising cycle slows down and comes back to reality and it's harder and harder for, you know, a, an idea to get, to attract funding um, well, I don't want that to happen. I'm just saying, and, and there's got to be proven business models and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's going to be you know fewer, bigger, better, uh, not to stifle innovation, but I think that's one. I think two, I think this remote work um, fantasy, sorry, people, <laughs> uh, you know, as a hundred percent of what the you know, sort of distributed workforce, I think I think that's a fairy tale. I think that was good headlines. That was amplified because it was good sort of clickbait. I, I don't think that's long term or sustainable. I do think, as you said, is hybrid the right word? Is flex the right word? I think that ex- continues to be an increasingly 
part, uh, important and, and, and large part of the mix, whatever that number is, 20, 30 percent. But this notion about, you know, everybody working from home forever and uh, that that's just it's not sustainable and it's not good for business. It's not good for I don't think it's good for people. But I think, listen, some, some degree of a, a day a week or some flexibility and some kind of, you know, work from other locations is great. So I think that that's going to absolutely, um, I think that's going to dissipate and accelerate uh, innovation in the workplace. And I just think, uh, you know, the other thing for me is like this notion that cities are dead, that that's bullshit. So that I think all the cities come back, they come back, they build back better, stronger, more diverse, hopefully more focus on affordable housing. So I think that whole narrative is over. I mean, I've seen it in Boston. I've seen it in New York's coming back, you know, LA, uh, DC. I mean, these cities are, are the Mecca of talent and, uh, innovation and, uh, and, you know, quality of life and culture. So I think that, that whole narrative about, you know, uh, cities are dead. I think that's bullshit and that's over. I don't know. Those are good ones. I'll add to, I'll add on a few of them. So I'm with you on remote. And I think what we'll see much more of in the trend that's gone is I think the number of people, all the surveys that keep coming out, I think that number of people that want to be remote is going down and down. Now, the, the number of people that want flexibility, and this is again where we live in this clickbaity yeah. time yeah. culture where I think you're right. So much of this is like, it's too black and white where the reality of, you know, I was reading somewhere the other day that I think it was Henry Ford who said nine to five Monday through Friday. So apparently the, the kind of modern work schedule is based off of, you know, a guy a hundred years ago uh, who decided that that's what made sense for, you know, during an industrial economy that, uh, for you know, the assembly line type business, what made sense. And I think what we're going to see is um, a, a much more intelligent um, re- rethinking of what office time needs to look like and needs to be. And I think we don't really know because we've never been super quantitative about this. And now everyone's being incredibly quantitative about what the value of in-person work is. So I think the trend of people wanting to be like this concept of fully remote is going to kind of go away and it's going to be much more about flexibility. And I think it's going to be paired with companies who, you know, Microsoft came out with that peer reviewed study that showed um, innovation was significantly at risk when people were fully remote. Um, and I think that's just going to scare the shit out of uh, a ton of companies to get back. And then you are going to see certain businesses, I forget if it was PwC or Deloitte, you know, that said they're going to be, they're going to let people be fully remote. And I think for a business like that, when you have accountants and consultants who are on the road 40 weeks of the year on site at a client, like that's a little bit different of a model because they're not in the, they, you know, it's just a different business than say, Microsoft or some of these other companies where, you know, you're not on site with clients for the majority of what you're doing. So I think they're going to keep hubs where, you know, they'll, they'll be, they're going to become much more sophisticated about how they bring their people together when they're not doing the client facing stuff. 
you know, on-prem and traveling and doing all that. But I think, uh, I do think remote will, will start to die out. Um, and I think fully remote. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Fully remote. And then the other thing that I think is going to die out and I do, this is a little, a little cheap because I've got some, uh, you know, I'm seeing it starting to die out is landlords building their own software. Um, so <laughs> we, we've had, yeah, um, we've had for, yeah, I like that you're laughing about this one. Um, we have watched over the last three, four years um, and look to, to make it in this business. You kind of have to have a, uh, a certain swagger, I guess is one way to put it. So I, I respect people making a run at this, but we've heard, I mean, I'm starting to hear overwhelmingly from a number of groups that are kind of coming back to market saying, oh, it turns out that there are a lot of uh, challenges and hidden costs and you don't just build software and then it's done and you have to pay engineers to maintain it. Engineers are really hard to retain and getting that talent in-house is tough. And then outsourcing to a dev shop, it turns out they work on a bunch of different projects, and not just ours. And it's hard to keep up with these really well-funded uh, SaaS businesses. So yeah. I think we're going to see a lot less of uh, landlords trying to buy their own software, build their own software. I think you're absolutely right on that, which is, and then just to go back and pull on the thread a little bit that you were talking about, about remote and flex, you know, I think one of the things that people that doesn't get enough coverage or discussion is the impact of fully remote work on mental health and stress and burnout. Right. Yeah. And it's study after study says that people are working longer hours when they're working from home and that we're just all plugged in all the time. And it's really hard to take a break and get balance. Right. Now, I've been living this life for 35 years. So, like, I was burnt out, you know, when I was your age. But, you know, like, it's it's not sustainable. And so I think there is going to be a bigger push on mental health in the workplace. And I think, again, there'll be a lot of solutions. I know you guys are, are all, you know, working on, on, on solving a lot of those issues as well with your platform. But I think that's uh, something that's real and that has to be addressed. Uh, and I think technology can be a big help there. And then I think about like, you know, when I, when I think about, you know, just to unpack it a little bit more, what, what's coming, uh, not to steal your thunder, but like, you know, I, I think the big shift in uh, companies now finally, hopefully addressing climate will, you know, I think that's, that is, it feels like it's like this giant, you know, meteor that's coming to the planet that I, that that some of us are paying attention to are stressed about trying to you know alert everybody and that the world's not our industry the built world's not really paying attention to but it's coming and i think it's going to impact every single real estate company and you saw it in boston recently passing legislation we've seen it in new york buildings got to get to net zero by different uh, time periods so i when i think about like what's coming my friend I think I think the industry has no idea that it's about to get hit by a giant two by four right in the middle of the forehead, and that's going to be climate change. And um, the, the, as the biggest 
contributor as an industry, 40% of all carbon emissions emanated from the built world, man. It's like, I don't understand why enough people aren't freaked out like, like, you know, I am and I know you are. So I think that's also something that's on my mind literally 24-7. Yep. I, um, I see and I'm starting to hear a lot more of that. I think uh, one of the promising things I've seen over the last six months is a certain level of sophistication from um, you know, the commercial real estate industry around um, not, you know, they have to play ball on the legislation, but I, you know, I've had some interesting conversations the last you know, two weeks, literally around um, some very forward thinking groups for NATO in New York, Jacina over in Paris, that they're not trying to do the bare minimum, right? Like they're, they're trying to push and say, how can we do as much as possible to reduce footprint and things like that, that I think is, um, a good thing. So you're starting to see some leadership from some groups. Um, and I think there's a lot of thought around how do you, you know, how do you get a lot of different constituencies and different stakeholders in and around the building involved in this, right? It's not just the landlord, but it's, um, how do you educate kind of the customers and the tenants who are caring more and more about this, which is a great thing. Uh, both on the B2B side and then employees from a consumer perspective care more, right? Yeah. Um, and everybody wants to chip in. Um, there is some gimmicky stuff in the market. A lot. Yeah, that it's hard, it's hard to really kind of at the consumer level nail things that people can do to contribute. But I do think one of the important things and one of the things that I say to some of our people and all these things is that... Um, we shouldn't disregard kind of incrementalism, um, incremental, small improvements compound over time, right? So um, even if it's incremental change, that shouldn't be kind of looked down upon. Uh, obviously, if we can take big swings and you know, really put a dent in these things, that's great. But ultimately, incrementalism also compounds. So you kind of have to look at, uh, you know, the the spectrum of how people are kind of approaching this problem. Yeah, well, I mean, again, it goes back to what you said at the beginning of the conversation, Chase. It's like you talked about the customer. What does the customer want, right? The customer wants experience. They want, the, 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 you know, the space needs to come alive, right? And it needs to do a lot of things, right, within, within the, you know, the building the, uh, for, for the customer. They want flexibility, right? And they want safety and wellness, right? And that's going to be coming from the customer. You know, I don't, you know, it's, it's not going to come from the political uh, environment. It's just not, it's, it's, it's too dysfunctional. And what's, what's good, what's, you know, what might be good for four years is quickly, you know, reversed very, very quickly with the next four years or whatever. So it's going to come from, it typically it's going to come from the demand side. So that's the employees and uh, their employers Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the industry just needs to be listening more, both on the occupancy side, but on the climate side. They want this. They're demanding it. And the, the industry cannot on this one greenwash its way uh, through this problem because corporate America is, for the most part, what we've seen so far is really making this a priority because, you know, it, it's, it's not going to come from the um, the. Uh, the uh, the public sector that leadership just happened. So this is again another example of where our industry, the real estate industry and the tech industry, can lead uh, in addressing uh, a lot of these 
issues that customers want and are demanding. Yep. And the market, the market works when the market wants something, it works. And I think you're right. And I think there are the most exciting thing, a number of the startups I've seen in the space, they really are coming up with economically efficient, you know, ROI positive models around this. There's a lot, I was getting educated by somebody the other day about um, uses for carbon and how you can make money if you're collecting your carbon and certain things like that. So there's really smart people are making progress on this. And I do think there's a little bit too much of a kind of negative spin and you need to make sure that people are um, caring about the problem. But I, I hear a lot of like, you know, we're doomed and nothing's happening. And that's not true. There's a lot of people who are making like some great strides on it. You know, we need people to think this is a big problem that needs to be tackled, but we can do something about it, you know, versus the kind of doomsday of, well, it's, we might as well not try. And I, I see a lot of people making good progress on some, some interesting solutions. Well, yeah, that's why for me, Chase, like I, I just, I'm so inspired by two things. One, the technology sector, right? Because I mean, we, we saw it through COVID. I mean, you know, never in history did, you know, what was a vaccine uh, created in such a short period of time, technology, right? Mm -hmm. And I, and you think about everything that's going else is going on with EV charging and electric cars and, and there's so much innovation happening in technology that's changing the world. So people like you, you know, you give me so much hope because I know you're going to come up with solutions, right? And it's not just going to be left to people's goodwill. There's a lot of that out there. Mm -hmm. But you'll, you and your colleagues will figure out how to solve these problems. And that's why I just lean in so hard on tech. And then I think it's also a generational thing. I think my generation, we screwed up, man. We, we screwed up a lot. And, you know, I got young kids. You got very young kids. And, you know, when they look at me at night, it's like, you know, I know they're looking at it like, Dad, what did you do when you knew, right? Did, what the hell did you do with your life? You know, did you need a, another car or another this or another material consumption? No, I mean, I want to tell them, hey, your dad tried to make a difference and leave this place better, right? And so that's what that's what motivates me is just, you know. That's what I love about Cretech. You guys are giving a platform to the people who are actually trying to solve, do the work and solve the problems. Well, we're not we're not solving anything, man, but you are. That's you are. I'm hey, help, help, helping people that helping entrepreneurs is the best thing that you yeah. can do. Um, that's what I love. My yeah. That's what I love. Dude. I love just spending time with you and your team. And uh, it's really always great talking to you. All right. Well, thanks a bunch for the time, Michael. This is fun. And uh, looking forward to uh, bringing you back on to talk about what we got right and what we got wrong. Uh, I'll start uh, I'll start making sure then. Who's your Super Bowl prediction? You're you're more the sports guy. Let's put you on the on the hook. Yeah, well, uh, as a as a as a Patriots fan, um, it's going to be very painful to me to say that this year is not our year. It's not going to be our year. But next year, I'll make a I'll make another prediction. Pat's back in the Super Bowl, not this year, but next year. This year, uh, I've got I've got Brady going to the Super Bowl and losing. So uh, from the AFC, I kind of like the Bills. I think the Bills are really good. Um, so I got I got the Bills beating Tampa Bay. Nice. There you go. What about you? 
we got? Oh, I just, you know, I just keep saying the same thing every year. And, you know, it hasn't happened since I think 2000 or 1990, whatever the hell the year was. I keep saying the New York Giants, but, you know, one of these years, if I just keep saying it every year, by the time I, you know, I'm 100, it'll come true. So, yeah, this year is not your year, but I do like that new coach of yours. Yeah, yeah. I'm, he's a former Patriots guy. So, I just hope with Phil Sims, Mark Bavaro, LT, Harry Cars, they all come back. Uh, Eli, the, the Patriot killer. <laughs> You got to love Eli on national television, giving the two birds, did you see him? Oh, man, that is, that is so fun. I love it. Yeah. We should aspire to be as good as they are. So <laughs> anyway, great spending time, you buddy. Thanks for coming on. Okay, pal. For more information about how HQO can help you connect with your workforce and make smarter CapEx decisions and drive more NOI, visit us at hqo.com. This is Chase Garbarino. Thanks for tuning in. Let's go.